I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Andy J Podcast. Podcast. Hello, welcome to the very latest episode of the Andy J Podcast. I hope you're having a really good week. Now, my guest today is Spencer Matthews. Here's a man who, when he first came into the public eye, was very much pitted as the pantomime villain. He was in Made in Chelsea from the very start, and he ran on in the show for, I think, 10 seasons. I think it's about 17, 18 seasons deep now. But he was in it for, he was a big, big, big part of the show. If you watched Made in Chelsea in those early seasons, then Spencer was the sort of handsome bad boy, the guy who was a bit naughty with how he treated women and various other things like that. He has completely transformed himself from that persona, and we'll find out in a few moments whether that was real Spencer or whether that was just a person that he was playing for the cameras. But nonetheless, at least in terms of his life as we see it now, he's a completely transformed man. He's married to Vogue Williams. He's a father of two, soon to be three children. He is a businessman, and we talk very candidly about his business now because he really has focused hugely on it and also his physical fitness you know here's a guy that now does jujitsu and extreme marathons like the marathon de sable and various others if you look that up you'll just realize how punishing and grueling an experience that is I can tell you that Spencer is extremely good company. Of course, he has podcasts with Jamie and with his wife. He talks to celebrities and so on. So he still has a toe in show business, if you see what I mean, whilst being primarily focused around business life and being a good husband and a good dad. But one thing I will tell you is that I wasn't sure what to expect when talking to Spencer. You know, I sort of went into it. I've seen a bit of Made in Chelsea. I'm not obsessed with it. I don't sort of record it religiously or anything like that. But of course, like most people, I've been aware of it. And so I was aware of how he came across on screen and things like that. I've also seen him in other TV shows, reality shows like The Jump and MasterChef. There was a sort of well-documented story about how he was in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, but he was sort of ejected very early on for various reasons. We'll talk about all that stuff during our chat. But like I say, I wasn't sure what to expect. Here's a guy who is known as the very basics of Made in Chelsea is these are entitled children. These are kids who have rich parents and who live this elitist lifestyle. So I wasn't sure how he'd be. I can tell you, he was a really nice guy. There was a moment uh, mid-interview where he sort of said to me, you know, because we're both, I have three children, he's about to become a father to three and so on, and he sort of said, look, we should be mates. And I thought that was just a clever line from him. I thought that was just something he was saying. Um, because, of course, you know, that, that often happens. People are very nice to the person that's asking them questions. However, to Spencer's great credit, he has backed it up. He has been in touch with me quite a bit since this conversation we have even met up at one of his company's events where he treated me to some of his delicious uh, new alcohol-free spirits and a round of crazy golf at a place in central London where I took some friends and uh, he was extremely nice very charming so I can tell you he's a man of his word which really really impressed me 
I liked him during our chat. I've liked him even more since our chat. And that is a real test because there are, I will be straightforward with you when I have these conversations, there is a sort of natural friendship that forces, you know, you, you kind of have to be friends with the person you're talking to if you're chatting for as long as I do in many of these conversations. So I feel that a lot of the people that are chatting to me, sometimes they're just being a little bit extra nice, a bit showbiz nice, if you see what I mean. Some of them are lovely after the fact. I sometimes talk about messages and occasionally I'll meet people for drinks and dinner and so on. And Spencer has been absolutely terrific. A man of his word and a man that I now value very highly. I, I think um, I mean, he really impressed me in our chat. And as I say, he's impressed me even more afterwards. So that's enough waffle. <laughs> Sorry to drone on, but he, he's a good guy. I think you'll enjoy this. Here is, and by the way, I should also let you know there is a delicate subject that we discuss as well concerning the death of his brother. I want to foreflag that with you so that if that is something that will upset you, I would like you to be aware that that is coming up in this conversation. It's something I didn't know much about and Spencer speaks very openly about being the surviving brother uh, of a tragedy and I just want to let you know that will be discussed in some detail later in this chat. So please enjoy a very good conversation thanks to Spencer Matthews. The Andy J Podcast. Today's special guest is, I'm going to call him a man transformed. From made in Chelsea pantomime villain, I guess that's the way to put it, to ultra marathon running, clean living advocate, parent, husband, and very credible businessman. That said, I still think this chat is going to be a lot of fun. I'm very pleased to welcome Mr. Spencer Matthews. How are you doing, Spencer? What an intro. That was uh, that was wonderful. Thanks so much for having me. I've actually thought about it, Spencer. I was like, what, what should I say? That he was in Made in Chelsea for a while and he was a bit naughty with some ladies, <laughs> all that kind of thing. But, you know, it, it was pantomime villain feels like the right way to describe it. I, I, I guess. I mean, you know, a lot of what uh, went on, I suppose, was due to the fact that the show is fueled by drama. So uh, that was uh, essentially the commodity of, uh, of, of the show. And yeah, I guess, you know, looking back at it, it's uh, it was an interesting time in my earlier life, shall we say. Well, look, you're a long time out of it, so I don't want to sort of spend the next hour discussing Made in Chelsea because, you know, that's a that's a kind of done part of your life. But it is worth kind of marking it. You, you did the first 10 seasons, which is a, you know, I mean, it kind yeah. of set you up as the foundation character. There was you and there was Jamie and there were, you know, two or three others. But but in terms of who's been naughty... You know, it, it was that kind of thing of well, what Spencer done now. Who's he? Who's he gone and had sex with behind someone else's back? Kind of thing, and it was a sort of recurring theme. Um, well, yeah, I mean, look, it, like like anything, I think at the time the the opportunity uh, was interesting and and exciting, and you know, I, I spent a bit of time um, at theatre school for for the university. I always wanted to be kind of an actor, so when I was um, uh, when I became a city broker. Um, essentially, you know, this, this opportunity arose at a, at a similar time. And I just thought it would be fun. I never realized um, that I'd be doing 10 series of it. You know, I, I'd always wanted to work for myself and do something that I loved um, that was meaningful, which I'm sure we'll come on to uh, at some point. But yeah, you know, I, I, it was just a bit of fun. And then, of course, um, the show can't go on without... Uh, high levels of drama and I guess I wasn't expecting to be quite as consumed by it. Yes, yes, I can imagine that. I mean, Spencer, I've spoken to a few former Made in Chelsea people now and all of you seem to have a similar 
kind of objective for going on the show, which is a sort of, it's a bit like when people go into I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here and so on, which I know you did briefly as well, but that's another story. It's effectively using it as a springboard. You know, if I do this, it'll get me a bit of profile. It'll, you know, up my social increase. It'll up my celebrity awareness. And then I can do something serious. But it's a bit of a trap. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's difficult to kind of comment on, I suppose, just because, you know, at the time, I think I I was 20 years old. Um, and you know, um, yeah, so no, essentially the, you know, the, the appeal of it was different, you know, if the same opportunity presented itself now, I wouldn't find it interesting, you know? Yeah. So it, it was, I think people grow, they develop, they change with time. You know, personally, I feel that a lot of the things that were televised, um, could be seen as, you know, relatively normal behavior in your early twenties. I'm not excusing the fact that some of it, you know, wasn't great. But it's certainly not uncommon. I think the difference is um, that, that it was televised, and and you know when you when you look back at it, it's uh, you know I I, I suspect I, I wish some things weren't documented, but you know that's life. It's all part of the fun, though, isn't it, really? I mean, you know, at the end of the day, like you say, you're, you're in your 20s. I mean, I guess the, the thing that must have been slightly weird is other people's judgment. Because of social media and everything else, you get instant feedback from complete strangers who you'll never meet choosing to comment on your behaviour. Some of them, I imagine, would have been, go on, lad. Another would have been, who the hell do you think you are? What are you doing? But and, and- Social media was kind of relatively new then. Instagram wasn't around. I remember Twitter being... Um, a new app, you know, then. Um, and, and actually, it was so, it was the most bizarre thing in the world, having people able to just, you know, directly message you essentially for the first time mm. on a public platform. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not a huge social media um, advocate or fan, you know, particularly with, with young kids. I think it's very useful for marketing, um, but that's about it. For me, um, you know, I, I feel that the lack of privacy surrounding social media, and actually I feel, and I'm sure we'll come on to this as well, but I feel that social media has created kind of irrevocable, like irreversible trends um, with younger generations. Uh, and, and it's, it's, you know, I, I, I don't mean to sound boring. I, I see it as being quite dangerous. The lack of privacy um, w- 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 is interesting, right? I mean, nowadays you don't need someone's email. You don't need someone's phone number. You can just message them. And it'll appear uh, in that person's, you know, pocket, which which I personally find, you know, a, a, a bit mad. And even if all of the comments and all of the messages are positive, and even if you're very popular and very or very well regarded, it's still strange that people are able to, to communicate like that nowadays. Um, so, and you know, you know, you don't even have the option of turning off the messages. That's that's what I find. You have the option, obviously, of of, of not being on social media or not using social media. But as I said earlier. You know, there's pros and cons to it, and Twitter was was brand new. I remember the first episode of Men Chelsea. We a few of us watched it together, who who were in the cast um, when it first came out, and all our phones ping, 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 ping. You know, oh, had notifications on Twitter. <laughs> Some of the things that people were saying were just, you know, you, you are kind of opening yourself up, um, you know, for for you know, well, social annihilation, I, I, I suppose, or you know, love as well, I suppose. But it, but it's just. Yeah, it was it was crazy. I, I actually remember it. Yes. Very 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 odd thing to be faced with. Well, but I suppose you open you, you open yourself up to that when you do it, and that's the other thing that people need to understand. You know, like if you if you want to engage in making television or, or being um, 
visible, you know, in, in the public eye on any platform or, or, or any TV show or, or whatever it might be. You, you, in my personal opinion, you need to have uh, a bit of a thick skin for it to make sense because you know you, you can't please everyone. Yes, and it's there's a sort of there's a different kind of form of celebrity these days, isn't there? And which has been fueled by social media. I don't mean from reality. I mean I'm talking about you know influencers. They didn't exist. You know, like you say, Twitter was quite new when Made in Chelsea started, but then now there's this new wave of celebrity that that are kind of almost replacing reality stars and becoming the new wave of oh we're famous for whatever reason it might be now. I mean, there's people famous for cleaning houses and so on. It's quicker, right? It happens faster. Like back in the day, if you wanted to be on television or you were a successful presenter, you would have to climb a ladder, right? You would have to show talent that was, you know, above and beyond your competitor's talent. Um, and then you may be chosen by a broadcaster, you know, like, like kind of applying for a normal job, uh, which it is, you know. Uh, and that, that was kind of just the way in which you would achieve your position or your role. Um, and with certain roles would come fame. You know, and there's varying levels of responsibility with that. And also there's, you know, a lot of downside in many cases. Whereas nowadays, um, I think social media is just so rife that you can make a very unsuccessful show and still become um, relatively prominent, you know, as such to a certain group of people. Um, you know, that there's no longer the kind of hoops that are necessary to, to jump through. And I mean, it's just, and even, you know, I'm a big advocate and a big fan of doing things that, you know, feel like they haven't really been done before. And hopefully we'll come on to talk about my business in a bit. But, you know, at the time, Made in Chelsea was really fresh. You know, there was nothing like it on TV. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, and it was around the time that um, The Hills was incredibly successful um, in on, on MTV in the States. And when I mean successful, I mean, you know, Brody Jenner and Spencer Pratt were wandering around like, Brad Pitt and Leo DiCaprio, and I'm not I'm not exaggerating. They they you know I, I went to university over there, and I spent a bit of time with them, and it was just wild their level of fame and the money they were making was just ridiculous. You know, like like you know being paid to essentially do nothing. And so you know when I went to to, to start my career in inverted commas, with, if you will, in in finance, you know, in the back of my mind, I was always thinking, well, why doesn't that exist over here? And wouldn't wouldn't that be fun to, you know, at this stage in my life, do something similar? And that's kind of why, at the time, it was appealing. I suppose ten seasons of it, in my opinion, was too long for me. You know, I shouldn't I shouldn't have stuck around as long as I did. I think my character almost on the show deteriorated over time, um, it, it, in the same way as your work uh, drive might deteriorate in a job that you become bored of. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, the motivation was gone. The caricature had formed. You weren't allowed to kind of have a rebirth. Yeah, you just feel like you, you'd been there and done it. You know, yeah. it was no longer entertaining or exciting to film. You know, like in in the really, well, and that's just for me, and I'm not dissing the show, by the way. You know, great show, God bless. You know, carry on, crack on, no worries. Um, but, you know, unless unless the cast is, is you know, enthusiastic and, and emphatic about what it is that they're delivering and the product that they're making ultimately, because let's all remember it's, it's a job, um, you know, the, it's going to suffer. So my time had come basically to, to move on. I felt like uh, it was well and truly milked. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And milk it, you did. So, I mean, good for you, man. You, you know, you made the most of it. You, it set you up. It got you to where you are and, and everything's a stepping stone, isn't it? Everything takes us to the next step and, and where we go from there. So 
more power to you. You know, you you, you must have had very thick skin though, because there were times when I imagine you were getting a lot of heat. And yeah, absolutely. You'd that. be amazed how hard it is to move on from that. Uh, not the persona. You know, I feel like the persona is dead and buried. Um, you know, married now, third kid on the way, sober. Um, you know, life is pretty different uh, to to some of those scenes that some people may remember in the show. So, you know, and I think that's relatively apparent, but, but it's, um, yeah, I mean, you know, you can't really shake it. Like you'll always be, I know, I never, this is actually pretty rare to be talking about. We have an hour. So obviously it's nice to have a great catch up with you and and discuss it, but not something I talk about very often. You know, like I typically, if I'm giving an interview, I wouldn't mention it. In fact, I probably avoid it. You know, I, I do what I can now to be seen, you know, in, in the way that I am. Uh, which doesn't include, you know, any of this um, reality TV stuff, really. And and it's it's just interesting because it just doesn't matter, you know, how long you're someone else. Essentially, like I'll always be that guy from Made in Chelsea. Yes, yes. Well, we I think that's the thing in the public eye. You you tend to be forevermore, even if it's even if it's just a distant memory, the person they saw first. So whatever it is, you know, great actors will always be remembered for the very first movie that they were a massive star in. You know, Leonardo DiCaprio, you think yeah. of him because you cited him. You, get, yeah. you know what I mean? There's there's just yeah. multiple things. You think of him as Romeo and all the rest of it. It's, it's just always yeah. there. It doesn't mean he's not brilliant in the next film and it's, we don't see him as something yeah. else. But it's always around, isn't it? So that's there's nothing wrong yeah. with it. It's just a body of work. Unfortunately. <laughs> it's just a, it's the, yeah. it's just a first line on a CV, Spencer. You know that's the way I'd think about it. You know, and, and your at CV the, is at massive. The bottom in in small font. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Read the small print, or or try and avoid it if you can. Uh, well, I mean, Spencer, I was more interested in your to, to, before we get on to because I'm really keen to learn about Clean Co and and the incredible things you're doing with it and the man you are now, frankly, because uh, some of the things that I've been reading about you, I've been doing some swatting up on you, obviously, because we've got this hour together. And it, I can only be sort of humbled and impressed learning about some of your achievements and thinking, holy moly, this guy really has gone for it in a massive way. And so I'm extremely keen to explore the you before Made in Chelsea and the you after. I'm not really fussed about the reality stuff. And okay. the thing that I, I'd like to talk about, obviously, because of the whole Made in Chelsea thing, everybody knows that, that there's some been wealth in your family. You know, you're, you're from a from a, a wealthy background. You've, you've had a, a sort of decent kickstart financially in life, at least. But what did that mean in, in reality for you? And I, and, I'm, and I mean this in the most sort of gentle of terms. So please excuse me if this is a bit of a weird question. But no, when, no, no, no. I, I, I think it's I think it's very important. But go on if you had a, a specific question. Well, it's it's something like. I don't really know how to phrase it, but I'll try anyway. You know, when, when, when people see rich families, they sort of consider them to be formal and perhaps distant. You know, so you don't sort of imagine little you getting wrapped in hugs from mummy and daddy and, and telling fart jokes around the sofa and so on. But, but was, that, was that the norm? Um, I had a great childhood and I'm very fortunate to be incredibly close. Um, with my with both parents who who are still together, um, and you know I, th- I think that's that's a really wonderful thing. You know, very close with, with my brother and and you know anyone every, everyone else in my family pretty much. And I feel um, you know, and just just to clarify, the the wealth um, came in our family anyway from my dad. So we're not from a wealthy family essentially prior to to him. You know, I've had uh, a great upbringing, but his father was 
a coal miner and his mother, you know, lived in uh, Rotherham. And, and, you know, we, 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 he came from a very humble um, start in life and, and, you know, was, was, I think I'm all right to say, was kind of the only successful uh, sibling even, you know, who, who, who was able to, to, you know, work his, you know, work as hard as he did for as long as he did. And he still does, by the way, um, to, to, you know, generate what you have called, you know, wealth to have us recognized as a, as a wealthy family. So it, it's, um, it hasn't just been, you know, passed down. And, you know, I, I do see a difference there. You know, my dad has only ever taught me to, uh, you know, try and be happy, but work hard. You know, nothing comes easy in life. And dad, of course, has helped me from time to time, um, as any parent would want to help their kids. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's nothing really like I will do what I can for my kids. Um, hopefully I'm not going to spoil them rotten. You know, I need them to understand um, how to get places in life. You know, I want them to live full lives. I want them to struggle a bit. And, you know, I'm not here on air, you know, pretending that I've had a hard life, but there's certainly been times when I haven't had it as easy as people would probably think. Right. So, and, and that's from, in my opinion, good parenting. And, uh, and, you know, I have work ethic instilled in me that has always been there, you know, like everyone in my family has. And, and I suppose we are all successful now in our own right. And, and, you know, it's not, we, 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 we have always, you know, um, looked at things in a, in a very specific way. I mean, you know, my dad is Yorkshire, he's Northern, you know, if I wanted something, uh, desperately, you know, growing up, or if I just wanted money for whatever reason, um, you better believe it wasn't just kind of dropped in my back pocket. You know, of course, it, it, you know, though, though, I might go to mum, for example. You know, I, I had, I had, a, I've had, a, I've had a nice life, but you know, it, it was, it was, um, you know, hard, hard work, and, and being honest as, as being kind of at the forefront of that. You know, well, at least lessons from from my parents. So, you know, I think I think we all we all get along famously, and we're very lucky for that. Yes, and with your with your dad being northern as well, it sounds because I have northern roots myself, and you know, two words that sort of strike me as being what epitomises the northern work ethic is true grit. Yeah, no, you know, he's he's he he was a, a car mechanic who became a racing driver and then invested in you know a number of things which happened to do okay, and then he bought a really run down um, piece of property over in the French West Indies. We relocated there when I was, when I was a little kid, you know, the place was covered in cockroaches and, and rats and whatever else. And he kind of almost, well, not quite single-handedly now him and mum turned that place into, you know, one of the greatest, you know, hotel destinations in the world that yeah. they did that, yeah. you know, you know, they, they, they work hard. They don't give up. They push themselves through tough times and, and come out, you know, hopefully on top, you know, we're a very competitive, family and you know when we come to talk about Cleanco for me and my you know with the business which I founded in 2019 giving up's not an option have there been hard times to get it to where it is yeah you know have, have things have things gone badly at times of course they have like none of this is smooth and easy any entrepreneur you know will tell you the to get firing on all cylinders and get up and running and fully funded and you know doing the kind of rate of sale if you're an FMCG or, or selling physical goods you know, that, that you, you know, need, you know, or sticking to plan uh, is really hard. You know, it takes an awful lot of work. And, and you know, I guess I, I love it as well. I have the good fortune to absolutely love what I do, which makes working hard easier. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I mean, 
you've given us a snapshot there of the, of the childhood that you had, Spencer. Of course, you, you're kind of talking about St. Bart's, where you, you spent a lot of your formative years. And it's a sort of it's on record to know that you went to Eton as well. And, and you know, you, you've had that in your history. But one of the things that I've only heard you talk about very fleetingly, and that might, might be from from choice, in which case, you know, we won't open the door for too long. But uh, for me, it seems to be something that must have shaped you and probably added to your incredible resilience, which is what something I, I think that you've demonstrated in droves was was the tragedy that hit when you were 10 years old which was the death of your big yeah, brother yeah, uh, are, yeah. You, are you okay so talking he, about that sure yeah yeah his uh i love talking about mike and um you know i i'm kind of desperate in some way for him to you know be remembered and, and recognized for his bravery and and you know what what he was able to instill kind of in me is something i'd love to share with people you know he he was amazing he uh, you know i didn't know him as well as i uh would have liked of course because i was 10 right so you know he he was 22 at the time of his death he was the youngest brit to reach the summit of mount everest um there were several complications uh on the on the mountain unfortunately which which probably could have been uh, avoided uh, and and we lost him he, he died um on 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 the way down uh, from Mount Everest, but he, he, yeah, as I said, he was the youngest Brit to, to reach the summit. And, you know, we still remember him very fondly. I credit, um, certain elements of, of, you know, successful times in my life to, to being guided by him at times, you know, sometimes very, what appear to be extraordinary things happen, you know, in, in my life that could be mistaken for luck. Uh, and I like to think that it's him. You know he's he's very um he's very relevant to me. You know he he's I saw a photo of him today. You know we we have a picture of him here with us on even though we're abroad. You know he's um he he's uh like yeah he's incredibly important to me. Um so it was it was a a tricky pill to swallow because I didn't really understand it right. at the time. You know I I I didn't believe that he had died. Um, I could see that my family were just you know uncontrollable completely distraught uh, but I always had an image of him coming back you know I didn't I didn't buy it you know as a kid so it probably didn't hit me as hard as it could have done if I was older um, so it was just um, an interesting time and obviously the, the, the longer the longer the time that passed um, the more you know clear and evident it was that uh, we were never going to see him again. And, uh, you know, his body remains on Mount Everest somewhere near the summit. And, uh, and, you know, we think about him all the time. Yes. Do you think, uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, so I have no idea how these things work, Spencer, but I've lost people close to me and it's, and it's, I'm acutely aware that it's changed my destiny and changed who I am as a person and stays with you forever. But do you think Michael's death sort of immediately and instantly changed the trajectory of who you were? It's hard, it's hard to say. I think if I was talking to a therapist, one would think that that was entirely possible. Um, but obviously it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to call. Um, when you look back at, you, you know, life uh, and, you, and you wonder why things are a certain way, um, and, you know, you try and explain it or you try and pin it on the loss of a loved one or, 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 or whatever else it may be. Um, I suppose there's no real way of knowing if, 
that was the event that led to whatever change that might have been. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting one. It's something I like to talk about, actually. I find psychology really interesting. Well, I've been wondering, because you've done a number of, particularly recently, the last two, three years, you've done a number of quite extreme physical things. You know, if you don't mind me saying, you're a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You've done, (laughs) which is a ridiculous sentence, but phenomenal. I mean, more power to you for that, man. You've you've done these celebrity boxing bouts. You've put yourself through the Marathon de Sable, which is, as far as I know, it's it's pretty much the most extreme marathon on the world, isn't it? Like six marathons in five days across the Sahara Desert, which is, (laughs) just thinking about it sounds horrific, but to do it must be incredible. So I'm I'm wondering how much Michael is with you because of course the last thing he did in his life was the pinnacle of physical achievement you know it was it was something that you know a 10, a ten year old looking at that that would have been heroic yeah. so I'm wondering if yeah. some of these these things that you do to yourself physically now are to match that achievement or to make him proud yeah well I I, I, I certainly see it that way you know I, I wouldn't again typically um say it but you know we we have a we have a foundation in mike's name in in africa we look after just over four thousand kids at the moment i say we being um kind of direct family members um and uh we provide kind of education um for young girls who would be unlikely to receive an education at all and we build schools in remote parts of africa to eliminate um incredibly long journeys on foot, daily long journeys, um, and, and therefore eliminate the risk associated with, with young girls walking uh, those kind of distances on their own uh, in Africa. So his name lives within the foundation. And whenever we do, I say we, this is my brother and I, do, do you know, the Marathon de Sable or, or you know, Ironman or whatever it might be, we, we raise money for, um, for the Michael Matthews Foundation. So... Uh, so that children can enjoy an education in Mike's name. Good for you. you so see, that's a kind of reason. But yeah, I agree. I mean, Mike was certainly present with me on day four of the Marathon de Sable. I'll tell you that. It's, uh, it's an 82 and a half kilometer stint, uh, single stint. Uh, it was 59 degrees that day. It's the hottest Marathon de Sable on record. They did it in, on October 11th. It started last year because they'd missed it for two years due to COVID. Uh, so, so it was um, at a very, very hot time. It was the first death on record for, for many years. A, a French gentleman died. A few people in comas. You know, it, it was a, it was a, it was a, you know, sketchy race at times. You know, very long, uh, very arduous. Um, plenty of kind of mental resilience uh, required. And uh, you know, it was, it was just, um, you know, so there were times um, in that that I actually found myself talking to myself um, or talking to Mike, essentially. You know, to to try and power through some of the harder bits of, of that long day, uh, which took me 14 hours and 44 minutes. Um, and it was, yeah, you know, I, I think it's nice, isn't it, to have, um, you know, a feeling that somebody's there helping you, you know, Absolutely. regardless of whether, you know, you, you, you believe it or not. I think it's nice that, you know, I'm not a particularly religious person, as an example. So this, I suppose, is is, is if we're getting deep is more is, is like a, is like my religion you know yeah, I, wouldn't pray to God. I, I wouldn't pray to god I would, I would pray to mike yeah yeah you're being spiritual you're not being religious but you're you you believe that he's he's out there and why not you know prove that he's not you can't yeah yeah, yeah. well yeah. so so yeah well to answer your question you know he he, he i'd like to think he lives a bit in me i'd like to think he lives in in the people that i love you know and, and helps us in times of trouble yes 
Yes, and I imagine you'll start to see him in your kids as well as they grow and, and get older. I it's, certainly hope so. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because it's like, you know, he, he was he was a very impressive character, obviously, to, to us, you know, his, his, his family. But he was only 22, right? So this this image that I've created, essentially, of of Mike, who could do anything and, and, and you know, nothing's too hard. And, you know, that I try and live by as well a little bit is, is helpful even though, you know, it could even have been unrealistic. Hello, it's John Markar here from our sister podcast, The Driven Chat Podcast. Right now, you're listening to The Andy J Podcast, and it's quite good, isn't it? In fact, do me a favour, give it a little review, five stars, and wherever you're listening, hit that little subscribe or follow button, because it does help. See you around. The Andy J Podcast. Yes, but it's the impression you have, and that's all that matters. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they are the people they were to us, and that's that's great, you know. And that's I'm yeah. I'm all for that. Yeah, no, that's 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 really powerful. Um, I mean, just like that, Spencer. You know, we've gone from, you know, I'm, I imagine from a listener's perspective, because certainly as the guy talking to you, you know, listening to your reality stuff and then hearing about the actual reality of your life, these are two very different people. You know, you are you are a very real, rounded, impressive human being away from kind of the nonsense of of reality star noise. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's very kind of you. You know, I certainly hope to think so. You know, I, as I said earlier, I, I wish that I hadn't done quite as much reality. I wish I hadn't been quite as public as I was. But you know, I guess these things happen for a reason, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, they they it it's, it you could even say, well, that's what led you to meet your wife or whatever. You know, you can find reasons. Yeah, no, well, absolutely. Well, that absolutely is the case. You know, there's there's no way that I would have done the jump, I suppose, without having done Made in Chelsea and that's where I met my wife. So that's a good way of looking at it. There you go. And and that justifies the means, right? So boom, sorted. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there you go. Done. <laughs> yeah. We could just, we, yeah, and from now on, maybe if anyone brings it up, you say you don't talk about it often and, and I imagine it won't be revisited for many more chats, but if it does ever come up, you can just throw it away like that. Well, yeah, I did it because it, it made me meet my wife. End of story. Yeah. You know, move on. There you go. Yeah. Door no. shut. <laughs> Sorted. Slam. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, I've got a suggestion for you for another extreme event, but I'm going to come on to that later because I'm very keen to get onto Clean Co because this is something that I think is it's such an important part of your life, but it's also going to change a lot of lives. Not I mean, not, not in kind of humanitarian ways, but I think it's yeah. it's it's going to do a lot of good. It's going to be really interesting to provide people with an alternative form of, of pleasure, if that makes sense. Yeah. So do you want well, yeah. to talk us through it? And I will come back to this extreme idea because it does sound like you love putting your body through challenges. So I've got one for you later. I find it, I find it uh, a, a really good balancing act to have these these kind of you know audacious goals whether they whether or not they be physical or you know in business or just in life in general you know I, I would far rather miss a really audacious goal you know than, than achieve an easy one yeah so you know I, in my eyes uh, I like to set myself things you know to do or to try and achieve that you know even even in my eyes seem you know not particularly achievable uh, and you know that that's fun for me it's just the way i am you know i really if i was if i do something i want to make it you know a, a, a really big deal you know otherwise i just don't really see the point you've certainly um, set the standard anyway. here spencer you know what sounds hard oh i know two marathons in two days nah five marathons in six days in the <laughs> desert 
that sounds hard. Yeah. I'll do that. Six and five, my friend. Oh, six, six and, and five. five. There you go. Yes, yeah. my, my bad. My math has never been my thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, also, I have three kids, so I now have the excuse. You, you talk to me in like we, six we have, months' time. We have a lot in common, by the way. Do we? I, I, well, I'm realizing on this call alone that, that we have a lot in common. Okay. You, I'm, I'm about to have three kids. You don't drink alcohol. Yeah. Well, you've lost people that are very close to you. You seem to have quite similar views to me on what we're talking about. I, I feel like we should be friends after this. I'm, I'm up for that. I'm, I'm, yeah, let's okay. do it. That sounds good. Excellent. Although, you know, I, I have a 10-month-old as my third, so I'm in that shattered phrase where my brain yeah, is I'll so foggy. Three years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm here to help with uh, any advice you need on, on having three. It does involve get as much sleep as you can now because it's about to disappear. Yeah. Uh, excellent. That's fab. Uh, yeah, you know, you, you hear all about that. We're delighted. You know, we're, uh, as I said, you know, both my wife and I love kids and uh, feel very fortunate uh, to have such a strong relationship. And you know, very, very thankful for that. And uh, yeah, we love our kids. You know, we would say another. Why not? Yeah, it's great. Will you be stopping at three? I mean, we always we always used to say that we wanted four, but but you know it's not. I don't think I think at three would be very happy. Yeah, uh, and, and you know we'll have to see. I mean, I I, I don't put myself through the uh, um <laughs> mainly because it's uh, impossible. But I, <laughs> I you know we're we're, we're not uh, we're, we we've got the easy end of the stick. I think when it comes to uh, the pregnancies themselves, which so is not our I'll fault, Spencer. Lo- That's not our fault. I this know, is a conversation I imagine you have to have regularly. If I could change it, yeah, I would. Yeah, exactly. I literally hey, if can't. I could, I, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. If I could, I would. So, yeah. uh, but unfortunately, uh, I can't. So yeah, no. So I'll, I'll kind of. I'm, I'm very happy to be led by Vogue. Uh, we're lucky enough to have to have one child, uh, let alone a third on the way. So, so you know, we're 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 all um, very happy about that. But uh, but yeah, you uh, you mentioned. Um, clean did you, you yes of course of course yeah i mean i i'm you have been very patient to hang fire for like half an hour before we bring up your your other baby which is this wonderful <laughs> business that you've launched and to some significant fanfare as well by the way it's it's not like it's just kind of mulling away as this kind of niche thing that no one can get hold of and and it's hardly available and you've got to go to this alternative website on the dark web with a weird password and all the rest of it it's everywhere and it's i mean by the sound of things it's about to be everywhere worldwide as well tell us all about it spencer in your words it's much better coming from you well thanks mate and uh and yeah i think i think you know you were kind enough to say that it's been very well received and i think that's due to kind of the authenticity of you know, what it meant to me around the time of launch. Um, you know, it's, I think when choosing something that you know you're going to be involved in for, for many years to come uh, and, and, you know, you're going to put your, your, your life into it um, to, to make it a success, you need to make sure that you love what you're doing. You know, like absolutely, you know, some people are kind enough, I suppose, to, to ask for some advice on starting businesses from time to time. And like, honestly, don't do it if you don't love it. Because it's it, it it has to be something you really care about because it, it's tough. It's you know there, there's peaks and troughs and you know it certainly isn't all rosy. But having said that, um, I was sober for about four months at the time um, and just noticed that there was this glaring kind of gap um, it, it, when you know when compromising on on what I was drinking, you know. So I went from drinking pretty regularly, right? I would drink when I was a city trader, you know, 
daily, you know, all the time. I would entertain, I, I would drink at lunch and then I would drink with clients uh, in the evening. And, you know, if you didn't drink, it would have been incredibly odd in it's, the job that I had. It's part of the gig. Yeah, it's just part of the yeah, gig. Yeah, yeah. Totally part of the gig. Like, I, I, I was saying just today to, to somebody uh, over here, I, 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 you know, because they were asking me about this, and I was saying, honestly, I think if I had declared that I was alcohol-free back then, I would have probably lost my job, mm. you know, because cause all just the entertainment came, came with it. Anyway, so um, I noticed the, you know, alcohol-free beer, has been around for about 22 years, but has only been put on the map uh, properly recently. And that, in my opinion, is because the gap between desire and compromise is so slight that now when you choose between an alcoholic beer or a non-alcoholic beer, uh, the similarity is such that the experience is the same. Okay. Right? That's, that's, that's kind of my view on it. Unless, of course, you're drinking to get drunk or you want to get tipsy or whatever, in which case, obviously, drink the alcoholic beer, you know, nobody's got any issues with that. But if you're just looking for a beer because it's a nice hot day and, you know, you want to put your feet up and have a beer, but, you know, you've got stuff on or you have kids or, or, or for whatever reason, you know, you don't want the high level of alcohol. Yeah, you're driving. An alcohol-free you beer. Know. Yeah, an alcohol-free beer is going to fill the void, right? So another very quick example is it's easier now to be vegan, in my opinion, than ever before, right? right? So if you... Uh, want a cheeseburger, right? But you're deciding to go meat-free back in the day. Yeah, take what rewind the clock five years. You're looking at, or, you know, call it 10 years for the sake of argument. You're looking at a nut roast as a substitute to your uh, cheeseburger that you want, which is a big compromise, right? Yes. Then there's corn, you know, less of a compromise, but still a compromise. Then there's the veggie burger, compromise. Then there's kind of impossible meat and beyond burger, all of a sudden, there's not so much compromise, right? It's kind of easy to have a meat-free cheeseburger and for the experience to be quite similar. And that didn't exist in alcohol. So there wasn't a way of me enjoying a gin and tonic or a mojito or a rum and coke without the alcohol. Uh, and I just kind of got thinking, why is it that alcohol-free beer... Um, you know, has, has, has lifted off and, you know, the Heineken spent $30 million in a single year once the product was good enough, you know, to, 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 to really fill the demand for the consumer. Then the consumer, you know, loved it so much. It's now one of Heineken's biggest products, you know, and it turns out that the alcohol level was almost kind of irrelevant to some people at some stage, right? Yeah. So it's, it, it's, I, I just, my, my mind kind of went into a bit of a flow. It didn't really exist. Seedlip was around. It was the only brand in the world that existed. And, and you know, I, I hopefully people think that I speak well of Seedlip. I always, you know, I think Seedlip is the most amazing brand, but it's, it's quite a complicated, you know, proposition. It, it purposefully doesn't play uh, in the gin space. In fact, you know, it says we are not a gin. Um, and, and therefore, the, the, the kind of, it's a complicated thing to understand what it is. What's it going to taste like? How do I mix it? You know, like, am I going to take this jump into non-alc not knowing what the product's going to taste like? So anyway, long story short, um, I wanted to create clean drinking. I wanted to get rid of the negative bar call, you know, like non-alcoholic, alcohol-free. I wanted to get rid of that and make it more more kind of socially acceptable to order a non-alcoholic drink, you know, using, you know, clean drinking, you know, like clean living. Uh, and, and Clinko was born. We, we aim to look, we aim to make, alcoholic um, replacements, essentially. Replacements, alternatives to full-strength alcoholic spirits. Um, we, we do a gin, a pink gin, a rhubarb gin. 
uh, a rum, a vodka, we've got a tequila, and we've got a whiskey coming out. Uh, and, and it's basically so that people can feel included when they're making the positive decision to drink less. So, you know, great. Like, so, so, sorry to kind of ramble on, but it's kind of like if I, back in the day, if I was not drinking, I went into a pub and I ordered, you know, three gin and tonics for my mates and a Diet Coke. Your Diet Coke makes you not fit in. It's hard to feel included. It's hard to feel a part of the group. Uh, it's one of the reasons that people give up in dry January. You know, they, they, the, temp- the temptation is such that, you know, or they, they just don't want to feel left out. Oh, but, but, but also, Spencer, it's, it's so boring. I, I don't mean Diet Coke is a drink or whatever. I'm not knocking yeah. any other flavors. Yeah, yeah. But if you're there on a session, as it were, you know, you're joining yeah. your mates who, who are out on it and, and 10 pints in and you're just you're still having the same drink. With with yeah. none of the sort of benefits of being drunk or whatever. I mean, I used to say when yeah. I because I I've been sober for for three plus years now, and and I used to say when people are like, oh yeah, what do you want, mate? I'd just be like, whatever, just something without alcohol. Yeah. I literally don't care. You're going to get me lemonade yeah, yeah. or orange juice or coke, and it's whatever. You know, it's just it's yeah. just a, it's basically just something that's going to get me going to the toilet. It's there's no fun around that. It just you know, yeah. it's not an but, event. You know, for, you know, you go to the pump for an yeah, event. Exactly. You're but, hanging out, having a good time. And it's, you know, there's no there's no ritual to it. There's no there's no familiarity with it. You know, like when you are, you know, mixing yourself a cocktail at home, that comes with slicing up a lemon, you know, and it comes with, you know, ice clinking around in the glass. It's, it's an event. That's a whole you process. It's a, yeah, it's, no, it's, you may it's not a, think it's a meaningful event, but it's an event. You're you're registering that as it's gin and tonic time. It's an event. Oh, it can be a right. performance so, as well, Spenny. If you if you've got sorry, I just yeah. called you Spenny there. My apologies. No, I I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> well, we are becoming friends, but it's it's, yeah. it's one of those things where you know you've got a few friends round and you're going to do a G and T or whatever. You you're going to be a bit of a showman. You get your chopping board out. You use the best knife and so on. You just I, do. I had I had some people around for lunch the other day, and um, one of them doesn't drink alcohol, and I I, I rustled up some some clean Palomas using our our, our clean tequila. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it, like everybody else was, was drinking, you know, gin and tonics, a bit of wine. And we were there with our, you know, fresh grapefruit juice and clean tequila. And we fit in, you know, we're having, we're having a fun afternoon. So it, it's, it, it's the inclusivity. It's the, it's the, it's the not having to compromise, you know, I think, and again, not to be boring, you know, we had dry January last month, you know, it, it's, it's only hard if you have to make compromise and it's only hard if you have to change habits, which you've had, you know, uh, or developed over time. You know, if you are used to drinking every single Friday night, then not drinking on a Friday night sends you off, right? It feels weird. But if you're able to drink, to just replace your gin and tonic or two with a clean gin and tonic or two, and it smells the same and it looks the same and it tastes the same. And it's, you know, it's, then the, the, there's there's an opportunity there, you know, to allow people to moderate or not drink at all, um, but without compromising on social experience, which is something that people are fascinated with. You know, fear of missing out is, is really real. You know, people feel that if they're not going to drink alcohol, then they're not going to have fun. And that's nonsense. Yeah. That you know, nonsense. like, yeah. like that is, it's just nonsense. But, but for people who think it's not nonsense, you can have that same experience of drinking your favorite cocktail with a clean cold terms. And by the way, I should probably mention, given that we're on the radio, there are you know hundreds of other businesses that do similar stuff to us now 
um, that didn't exist before. But you know, if, if you're not a Cleanco fan, or you're not a fan of, or you're not, you know, a fan of mine, if you pop into Sainsbury's, you know, uh, or Tesco's or Morrison's, you know, they have whole aisles now yeah. of alcohol-free, you know, alternative spirits and beers and wines and whatever else there is. You know, it's uh, it's a really interesting time. You're really loving this, by the sound of things. I just think it's, I, I, well, firstly, it, it was great that my idea at the time was so validated, right? We were able to raise significant funds quite quickly and, and move straight to Series A and Series B, you know, and, and grow the business in a, in a really meaningful way, which means, you know, venture capitalists and entrepreneurs and, and, and investors alike share the vision. And that's, that's a nice thing anyway. You know, sometimes you can have, what you feel is a great idea and you pitch it to people and they go, no, man, I don't get it. Mm. Or, you know, what's the point in that? And so for it to be validated and, and, you know, to have gone as well as it has so quickly is, is obviously personally um, great. You know, I, I've, I've loved building the business and uh, we're, you know, we're, we've been focused mainly on a, on a U.S. expansion. We're in seven states in the U.S. And by the end of this year, we aim to be in 36 states and, Wow. You know, there's an even more exciting market because they're, they're essentially 18 months to two years behind us in this space. So there it really feels like we're kind of trailblazing. Yes. Um, you know, even though we were trailblazing in the UK as well, you know, it's all of a sudden it's, it, you can almost call it saturated, the market, which is insane to me because we were alone, you know, two years ago. Um, and and now we're, we're most certainly not, but you know it's very it's very on trend you know there was there was a period where everyone was bringing out a gin not a non-alcoholic gin but just a gin there was another new gin coming out every every week or so now it feels like this is and yes you're ahead of the curve and it sounds like you've set the trend the one i'm particularly keen to know about spencer because obviously you said sort of rum tequila vodka gin and so on and and they all seem to me as a a sort of in terms of tastes they all seem to me as as being yeah they'll be difficult to nail it to get it exactly right but but achievable the one you've said that's coming out that I'm like, how are you going to nail that? It's whiskey. I mean, that sounds tough, really tough. tough. We've been developing it for nearly a year. It's really hard. Uh, also, you know, people people who drink whiskey, right, they, they like alcohol, right? You won't find people who drink a little bit who, who tuck into whiskeys regularly. So yeah. it's almost like we're going to have a tougher crowd um, and, and a more skeptical crowd. Yeah. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's an interesting one. Like take, take vodka as an example. You remove the ethanol from vodka, you've got water. So how do you make a non-alcoholic vodka? Well, we <laughs> did it flavored. You know, we, we, did, we, did a, we did a spiced apple vodka. Okay. You can't hide behind a flavor with, with whiskey or gin or any of the others for, for, for that matter because you have to make it as similar to the real thing as possible. And by the way, if you're listening to this thinking, oh, I've never heard of alcohol free spirits, I'm going to give this a try and you have a shot of the clean tequila neat, uh, there's a chance you might be disappointed, right? There's no alcohol <laughs> in, the, in these liquids. So, so, you know, these are very much designed for cocktail making, for, for showmanship, as, as you call it. You know, this is, this is an event. This is, you want to mix yourself a gin and tonic. You want to mix yourself a margarita. You want to mix yourself a mojito. You know, um, we are, we, we uh, you'll probably laugh at this, although, you know, we, 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 we see ourselves as a, almost like a tech company um, that creates products. Yeah, in no, that, that makes you know, sense. In, 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 in the same way that I wouldn't expect you to have an iPhone 6 or 7, you know, a lot of people who use iPhones um, get the latest iPhone, you know, whenever it comes out. And, and that's, 
they don't even need it, but they do it because technology is moving uh, in such a way that people want the latest and the best. And, and, and it's similar with us. You know, if we sit on a recipe for too long, somebody else will come along and do it better. Technology is changing very quickly. Uh, these trends are, are, are you know, almost uncontrollable. There's millions of people um, who, who are interested in this space. And unless you're kind of cutting edge and looking for ways to make it better to the point where you and I could enjoy a straight glass of clean whiskey and for it to be the same as, you know, a scotch. We're a little while away from it, right? Everyone is. Oh, yeah, you know, Diageo haven't done it. Perno haven't done it. You know, we are, we are working on it. But it's, it's, that's what, you know, our MPD, uh, sorry, new product development is, you know, we, we have, we know what we're doing for the next two years. You know, and, and it's all ordered and it's, you know, we, 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 it's all, you know, part of the forecast. We, we, we know exactly what we're doing and when. And that involves, um, you know, recreating and amplifying even our best-selling liquids. You know, we can't, we can't be asleep at the wheel No, you have to keep evolving. All. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, yeah. Spencer, if you, can, if you can replicate Lagavulin, I would be extremely grateful. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, we'll see what we can do. Hop round to the clean kitchen. <laughs> We've got a, we, we put, we put up a, a shack in the uh, in the uh, in the Cleanco office car park, so that these two incredible women, um, both called Lucy, uh, uh, actually can can work away on on, on flavour development um, from literally the car park of our office. So brilliant. Pop over one day when uh, when all three of your kids are asleep, <laughs> and uh, and we'll uh, and we'll, we'll we'll show you how kind of at least ideas get started. That would be amazing because those are one of the uh, the two things I crave or I miss. You know, now I haven't had a drink for such a long time. I, I used to love Guinness and I know there's an alternative, but it's not, for me, it hasn't quite nailed it. If And I mean that respectfully yeah. to Guinness. I'm sure they've been selling in, you know, by the barrel, but it's, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's no, not. I, I, sorry to interrupt you. I was, I was in Hoth recently, which is uh, where my wife is from. And, um, popped into the pub just to order a bit of lunch to take down the road. And, um, and I noticed that they had Guinness Zero on tap, which, which never used to be there, of course. Yeah. And it was never used to be there, of course. And I said, um, you know, how is the Guinness Zero selling? And this is, you know, in Ireland, like, like the English, you know, the Irish love a drink. And I, I, I too don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but you know, pub culture is pretty rife in, in both countries. And, um, and honestly, the barman looked at me and he just said, like, mate, we're, we're like, it, it sells out. You know, we cannot have enough of it. Mm. It's just people are on it the whole time because we're changing the barrel, you know, almost daily. Wow. You know, and this is in pretty kind of still kind of COVID times. I mean, obviously, it's still COVID times. But I mean, you know, there's still social distancing. And, and you know, I wouldn't say the pub was overflowing uh, with people yet. They're still getting through barrels of, of Guinness Zero. So. My point is, it's you know this this kind of stuff. The, the social experience is is the same. I, I I mean, strangely enough, I haven't had a Guinness Zero, and, and I'd love to try it. But you know, I can imagine that the experience of having the barman pouring the Guinness Zero out of a tap and you sitting, you know, in the pub with your mates drinking a Guinness Zero is going to feel exactly the same as drinking a Guinness. Yes, that would so, be completely different you know, to the one I took out of the fridge. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. Yes. So, 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 you know, that's essentially what we're, what we're trying to do, you know, it's very rare. In fact, I'd go so far as to say, I suspect no one has ever woken up and said, I wish I drank more alcohol last night, you know? So <laughs> I, I think even if you're, you know, a, a, a drinker who has no interest in, in non-alcoholic drinks, perhaps you have an interest in staying out for longer. 
you know, and staying in the fun for longer, right? Nobody likes taking it too far. You know, I'm sure that people listening can, can all, if you drink alcohol, think of a time where you, you've, you've had a bit too much, you know, even the room's spinning a bit maybe, you know, whatever it might be. You know, wouldn't it be nice to intersperse, you know, clean drinks when you feel like you've had too much alcohol so yeah. you can carry on, you, you know, the fun. You don't have to go home. You know, oh, I'm feeling a bit tipsy. You know, I, I need to leave. You know, I might embarrass myself. No, yeah, have well, five more clean gin and tonics, mate. Well, exactly. There, there are plenty of people that will go. You know, they'll have a couple of pints and then they'll have a, a lemonade or a water or whatever to try and, you know, yeah. kind of pace themselves. And now they've got an alternative that that doesn't look. What's the term? Cheating is wrong. You know what I mean? But it looks yeah. like they're they're still kind of having a proper night out rather than they've you know deferred to a pint of water, which is often yeah, you know, just kind exactly of, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's great. I mean, this is going to be massive, Spencer. I mean, you, you've obviously, as you've mentioned, you're already in a load of supermarkets and, and that that must be transformative for the business because that would have given you the confidence to just kind of keep on evolving and immersing yourself in it and going for it because suddenly it, it's ha- it's been taken seriously by the big boys straight away, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. We always saw the at-home opportunity as being more prominent than the uh, on-premise activity to begin with. Uh, this was before COVID. You know, our initial business plans obviously didn't account for a global pandemic no. that we didn't know uh, was around the corner. So, you know, it, we, we always thought, you know, where are people most likely to enjoy, you know, clean gin and tonic? Uh, and the answer we quickly found would be at home. So retail and direct consumer were always going to be um, our core focus. Um, and now, you know, you thankfully we have, you know, hundreds of people saying oh you know it'd be so great if they served it in bars and um and we are we're working on that now given that you know uh law and legislation around you know what bars and on-premise are, are allowed to do now with covid seem to be softening a little bit so i hope very much uh, that you'll see us in your local in no time yeah, sounds likely and you've become mr clean yeah i guess well you know i think it was about time <laughs> well fair enough oh mate this is i mean i said at the start a man transformed that's how i called you and it really is there's a kind of this is a complete about face and it's uh it, it's it's lovely to witness actually now I, t- I told you that i had an extreme uh physical challenge for you that i think you should attempt because now you're into oh, yeah. this and, and you sound to me like the kind of guy that, that actually likes a challenge likes to be challenged yeah. and to be set challenges yeah. you know kind of jump over this hoop all right i'm, I'm not going to jump over that one i'm going to jump over the one above it now just looking at the other shows you've done in terms of you know the the, the kind of tv scene the jump obviously where you met vogue your now wife uh, and you won that one credit to you because that is extreme i mean that's going up against olympians and and you know doing all that kind of skiing and jumping and all the rest of it it's it's it can be brutal it it kind of takes people out rebecca adlington who was on the show a couple of weeks ago she dislocated her shoulder and couldn't complete it so injuries happen a lot on that show so you did really well with that you've obviously had your boxing you've been master chef a couple of times and nearly won it i think for both times yeah anyway um no i i think the, the the first loss was um was well deserved. John Partridge beat me absolutely fair and square. I mean, that guy is a sensational chef. I think he's actually even become uh, a chef as well as, you know, lots of the other exciting and interesting things that he does. But he's, uh, he's the kind of guy that can walk into a kitchen and rustle up a cake with no recipe. Oh. You know, like he, know, he knows what he's doing big time. He can walk in and, you know, just make soda bread from scratch just because he makes it all the time at home. You know, he's a proper chef. Good for him. So then you go back, you don't win it again. Does that mean you're going to have to go back a third time to win it? Is that an unscratched itch? 
I'll tell you what, if I can find the time to, to do MasterChef again, <laughs> that there is unfinished business in that kitchen. <laughs> it has to happen. And then you did that yeah. thing with Jamie. Was it like the chase or something where they're hunting you down? That looked fun. Hunted, hunted. hunted that that yeah. was great fun. Yeah, no, Jamie and I uh, are fortunate to work together on a podcast called Six Degrees. And we, you know, we, we, we love each other very much. That's a relationship that's only got stronger with time you know i i absolutely love that bloke he's fantastic and uh no doing that show in particular was, was great fun i mean that's really real by the way you know some of this reality tv stuff dare i say it isn't as real as some people might think no uh, come, on. come on come on don't yeah, say nonsense on. like that spencer i've been with you all the uh, way but to suggest it's not real come on now well i'm well yeah i'm only joking um so 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 yeah uh, but hunted was 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 fantastic. They literally they, they just dump you in the middle of a of a uh, well in our case a town square in London, and I think they give you an hour's head start, and, and they just say go, yeah, and that's it. You've got two weeks to avoid essentially you know people posing as police officers, but these people had you know jobs in in the in the military and special forces, and they're I mean they're, they're trained professionals. And you have to move a certain amount per day and blah, blah, blah. But it was, uh, it was absolutely full on. Yeah, it was great fun. It was, it was fun to watch, actually. You guys did really well. Um, so, look, here is my challenge for you. You've probably heard of it, yeah. but I can see you going for it. And, my goodness, if you could rope Jamie into it as well, then that would be, be a hell of an adventure. He'll say no, I'm sure. And that's the Atlantic challenge, rowing across the Atlantic. I'd, I'd absolutely love to do that. I bet you would. Um, and this is no disrespect to Jamie, but I might, I might, you know, choose Matthew Pinson or something. <laughs> he's done it, I think. I think he's no, done sure it. He you know, you can do no, it alone. I, the, I mean, the real challenge is to do it solo. Plenty of people have got, you know, teams or you can have boats of up to eight, I think. But the, there are a handful I, of I, people that have done it on their own. I'd, I'd adore to do something like that. I've got the Ice Ultra coming up on the 22nd of February, which is 230 kilometres across Arctic Sweden, uh, very similar to the Marathon Bazaar, but it's, it's minus 40 uh, at times up there instead of plus 59. So, yeah, that's going to be um, that's going to be a goodie. Looking forward to that, actually. It is, it, you know, I think I might even get to see the Northern Lights if I'm lucky. Um, and then, uh, mate, I would absolutely, why don't, why don't we row the Atlantic? You hop in. <laughs> I mean, I could be I there at tell, the start I can, tell, and the finish. I can tell you want to do it. It's it's the three kids thing though, Spencer. That's the trouble. You know, I'm just uh, I've got to be there for them. You know, and this is like 40, 50 days at sea. It's not like six days on a on the desert. <laughs> you know, it's a proper no, it's no, a proper no. commitment. No, absolutely. Well, mate, it's uh, it's funny you mention it. Actually, I've always been attracted to the idea of doing it. So who knows? Let's see what the future holds. Maybe when the kids are a bit older. Uh, do you know what? I'd, if we revisit this in ten years, when they don't need me around so much, I'd be there for it. But right now, I'd, I'd, it, it's too much of a lifestyle thing. But I, I would. I've witnessed people do it. I've made a film of people doing it before in one of my early jobs, and I, I was just in awe of them. More people have been to space than have rowed across the Atlantic. I mean, that's crazy. Well, if we're talking about making a film, then I'm going to have to do it. You know, I wouldn't be able to not. Yeah. <laughs> All right, fine. We'll we'll pencil it in for ten years' time, maybe five years, Let's maybe do it. five years. Let's do it. All right. You're on. Spencer, it's been a real pleasure. I've really enjoyed our chat. Thank you very much for your company today. So, so, so have I, mate. And, and thanks so much uh, for having me on your, on your fine show and speak soon. Look forward to it. Take it easy. Have a great rest of your holiday. You can return to the Maldives, right? Excellent. Yeah, I, I sh I'm still here. Get in the sea and have a lovely time. Thanks so much, dude. Brilliant. Cheers, Take mate. Care, have, mate. A, have a lovely day. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Andy J Podcast. 
Well, there we go. That I told you, what a nice guy. What a thoughtful, interesting chap. And as you probably heard, we interrupted his family holiday. He was speaking to me from a room in the Maldives. I mean, wow, that's commitment, isn't it? That's dedication to pushing your business and keeping the brand going, taking an hour or so out of your amazing holiday to chat to someone on the other side of the world with a slightly different time zone. So good on him for that. And as I said earlier, we've subsequently met and he's as nice in real life as he is in interview mode. So very impressive guy. Now, I can tell you who's next on the Andy J podcast. Really pleased to be able to say I will be spending an hour with the lovely, well, slightly more than an hour, I suspect, with the lovely Kate Humble. Now, Kate has lived an incredible life on and off our screens. On screen, she has been, you know, in the very early days, she presented Top Gear many moons ago, amongst many other things, before she got into the likes of the things we know her for now, which is Life on the Farm and Country File and so on, Springwatch, etc. So... I'm really looking forward to chatting to her. I think she's going to be absolutely fascinating. Next week on the Andy J Podcast, Kate Humble. For now, thank you so much for your company today. It means the world. Go well, have a wonderful week, and we'll speak again next week. Take it easy. Bye-bye. The Andy J Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.